Welcome back to After the Buzzer Sports Talk, and I'm your host, Aiden Mayer. Alright guys, welcome back for another episode. As many of you may notice, new logo. I'm gonna miss the old one. The old one is the original one, but I think it was time to move on. It was really hard to see the name. So it was hard to get people's attention, really, because you could barely even see what it said. And I liked it, but I think this one's a lot better. It stands out. I like the colors a little more. Uh, so hopefully this is the new one for a while. I'm not that guy who likes to switch names every, you know, two weeks. And uh, clearly I've stuck with the same name and logo for now. I started doing podcasting, what, maybe eight months ago. So I stuck with it for a, g- a good amount of time, seven, eight months. But it's, it's time to move on from the old logo. Uh, maybe I'll bring it back every once in a while just for, like, I don't know. I, 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 I don't know. I, I like this logo, though. Uh, but anyway, enough with the logo talk. Here's what we're going to get to in today's episode. First, yes, I have finished my NBA Top 100 Players list. So, obviously, I did – not obviously, but a few – maybe two weeks ago, I did my number 100 through 81. Now I have completed the list. So now from every episode from here on out, I'll probably do this list just to get it done because 10 days till the NBA season starts. So today we're going to be doing numbers 80 through 61. And then I made a few changes to the list. Uh, I added somebody. So I'll just update you on that. It's nothing too major, but 80 through 61 is what we'll get to. And I'll refresh you if you didn't uh, hear numbers 81 through 100. I'll update you on you know who those players are. And then a little Thursday night football breakdown. I know it's Saturday night here. Most of you are probably listening on Sunday, so Thursday night's a bit behind us, but I kind of thought about it. There's not a lot that I really want to talk about. I know the MLB playoffs, but I kind of just want to sum that all up when it's over. Maybe I'll do like the World Series while it's happening, then do a whole recap when it's over. And yeah, the Bruins, not really, you know, it's not too juicy with the Bruins yet. And that I just would be reviewing one game. So I want to do this because it's my Patriots. A lot of you are Patriots fans too. And I love going into, you know, a game. You know, when I do Sunday night football reviews and Monday night football reviews, like when I review the whole week, I can really only get to the main parts. I really like being able to pick apart a game. That's much more fun when I can spend 15 minutes talking about a game rather than feeling like I'm limited to like a minute or two, two minutes maybe if it's a good game. Like, you know what I mean? So I want to do that. But first... I'm going to get to my numbers 80 through 61 on my NBA Top 100 players list, so let's get to that. All right, so originally on my plans, I wanted to start with the Thursday football review, and then I wanted to get to my NBA's uh, 80 through 61 on my NBA Top 100 players list, but I just realized in the intro I said twice I was going to start out my NBA Top 100 players list, so I guess I'm starting with that. It's not really a big deal, but... I meant to start with Thursday Night Football. Turns out that's just not how it's going to go. So, so far, my list is... Joe Harris, Jordan at 97. Bam Adebayo at 96. Then I've got Terrence Ross at 95. Jared Allen at 94. Jeff Teague at 93. DeJounte Murray at 92. Patrick Beverly at 91. Danny Green at 90. Derek White at 89, Alforak Aminu at 88, Derek Favors at 87, Ricky Rubio at 86, Thaddeus Young at 85, Jonas Valanciunas at 84, Marcus Smart at 83, TJ Warren at 82, Harrison Barnes at 81, 
And that's that's it. So if uh, to start off my list, my first two guys, I will say, I've got DeAndre Aiden at 80 and uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. at 79. Originally, I had DeAndre Aiden at 82, Jaron Jackson Jr. at 81, and then Harrison Barnes was going to kick off my list today at 80. And I didn't have TJ Warren on this list either, so I put TJ Warren at 82. And then I said to myself, I don't like Harrison Barnes over DeAndre Ayton and Jaron Jackson Jr. So I put, I basically just swapped, uh, I basically just swapped Harrison Barnes and Jaron Jackson Jr. And then bumped Ayton up a spot, if that makes any sense. So that's basically what I did. So the reason for it being, all right, since I didn't get to explain number 82, which is TJ Warren. Warren is a guy who's really only a pure scorer. He's an efficient scorer on the wing, average 18 points per game, I think 45% from the field in Phoenix, given uh, it's going to be interesting to see what he does this year in Indiana. I'm going to keep an eye on TJ Warren. Uh, I think he's a dark horse, most improved player candidate. Uh, but now he's in. A, he's on a real team now. Is our scoring numbers going to continue at, at the same pace that it was in Phoenix? Can he improve in other areas? Because outside of scoring, he needs to improve. It's really all he does is score well on the wing. Then at number eighty-one, I've got Harrison Barnes. Harrison Barnes is one of those secretly. I don't want to say secretly overrated, but he kind of is. Like he's overrated when people talk about him, but he's not really talked about at all. But when people like throw him on an NBA top 100 players list, they'll overrate him a little bit. I'm not a huge fan of Harrison Barnes. Uh, he's a pretty, you know, he's a player that fits well with the Kings now. He's in that fast-paced offense. He does better there. But he's a guy that can give you 15 points a game, just kind of driving to the hoop. He's just an odd player that I can't really figure out. Not a huge fan of Harrison Barnes, but I, he definitely deserves a spot on this list. Then kicking off where I'm supposed to start, I've got DeAndre Aitnett. Number 80. Uh, for Aiden, this is a guy that I really think can break out this year. Aiden's got a ton of potential. I love DeAndre Aiden. Aiden, he's a great scorer on the block. Uh, he's a great rebounder as well. Again, he's not a guy that can be a stretch big for you. He's not a guy who can pass. The big area that he needs to improve in is defensively. Defensively, the Phoenix Suns are horrible. They don't have any big men that can defend. They don't really have any defenders, period. And DeAndre Ayton, just as a player, he would really improve if he could uh, improve defense uh, defensively. I think that's the number one spot. We all know he can score down low. We all know he can rebound. But I'd like to see him become a better defender. If he could also become at least somewhat of a stretch big that can give you maybe one to two three-pointers a game at some point in his career. I think that would help as well. That's not a main priority for me. He's shown he can be one of those players who camps under the hoop and dominates under there, grabbing you a ton of – getting you around – he could be a guy in his prime that gives you 25 and 14 or 26 and 14. And I'm being serious. I mean, this past season he had, I think it was 16 points per game on 10 rebounds, and this was in his rookie year. So I think that's a guy – that can really contribute in that type of way. So I'm interested, very interested to see what DeAndre Ayton can do this season. Can he really break out? Can he be the 20 and 10 guy? I think he can be maybe even 20 and 11 type of guy. You get my point. I really like DeAndre Ayton. Then at number 79, we've got Jaron Jackson Jr. Who had the better season last season? DeAndre Ayton. But the reason being for that could have been, we look at Jaron Jackson Jr.'s injury. Jaron Jackson Jr. is just such a complete player. I mean, this is a guy 
who is going to be a future defensive player of the year candidate. He is an incredible, incredible defender. If there's a strong, if there's a strong suit in Jaron Jackson Jr.'s game, it is defense. Then we look at scoring. I think this guy averaged 14 points per game last year. I mean, this is a guy who's very athletic. He can drive to the hoop. He can score on the block. He's got some post moves. He can also shoot. I think that's an underrated part of uh, Jaron Jackson Jr.'s game. There are a lot of underrated parts about it, but the fact that he attempts threes. He's not that great at shooting threes, but he does it, and he has confidence in it, and that's the good thing. He was on a Memphis team last year that wasn't that good, so he said, you know what? I'm going to try to become a better three-point shooter. I'm not very good at it, but I'm going to shoot my shot and try to improve because you can practice it and practice all you want, but you're never really going to truly improve unless you shoot it in game. I say the same thing about Ben Simmons, who just hit that three. Yeah, I know. It was crazy. Uh, it's not. It wasn't crazy, but it was just because it's Ben Simmons. But Jaron Jackson Jr., I love Jaron Jackson Jr. That guy can rebound. He can score in all in many different ways. He's very athletic, great defender. Uh, hopefully, he bounces back from his injury and continues to uh, build upon what he did last season, and hopefully John Morant, he's a great fit with him. I think he was a solid fit with Mike Conley. I think he'd be even better with John Morant. Those two bond so well. I think they complement each other's game really well. It's going to be interesting to see how those two fit. Then at number 78, I've got... I want to change this. All right, a quick swap here. I'm going to do... Okay. I think I'm, think I'm good here. I'm going to do number 78. I'm going to do J.J. Redick. I'm going to go J.J. Redick here at number 78. Just quick change. I was kind of contemplating that. 78, J.J. Redick. Redick's a guy who can't defend for his life. Right? He's horrible defensively. He's got a small wingspan. He's got a small frame. He's just not good defensively. He's not very athletic. He's a guy who can't really create his own shot. Besides maybe... Let's just say this outside of three-point shooting... J.J. Redick is not good at all. The guy can't play defense. The guy can't... He's not really even a great passer. The guy's not going to get your rebounds. He's not going to drive to hoop and get buckets. He's not going to create his own shot. Just stuff like that. The only thing he does is... Spa- he's an, uh, he's more of a wing shooter. He's a guy who can space the floor. But he's so good at three-point shooting, he deserves a spot on this list. He's that good. You saw what he did last season. He really spaced the floor and was a key part for the 76ers. The 76ers starting five last year was Ben Simmons. Jay, it, it actually depends. Uh, oh, no, no, no. That, that was after. I'm thinking of something else. Never mind. It was Ben Simmons, J.J. Redick, Jimmy Butler, Tobias Harris, and Joel Embiid. That was his starting five last year. Ben Simmons wouldn't and couldn't shoot. Jimmy Butler could, Tobias Harris could, Joel Embiid, eh. But I just want to focus on the guards for a second. Not even the starting five, just the guards. Ben Simmons is a guy who could do it all except shoot. So having J.J. Redick, it was a perfect fit. J- you know, Ben Simmons could pick up for his defensive slack. Ben Simmons could pick up for everything, all of his slack. And then J.J. Redick just filled in that one area that Ben Simmons lacked. So they complemented each other well, and it was all like a balancing act. It, it, act. it balanced out in the end. So with J.J. Redick, he's just a guy who can shoot and space the floor, but he's so good at it. He has such a quick release. He's a veteran in this league that has experience. What's not to like about J.J. Redick? A lot of things. But he's you know just a good guy, genuine guy in this league. He's a veteran. He's a great, 
great shooter. He deserves a spot on this list, even though he can do nothing outside of shooting. Then at number 77, I've got Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, I almost put him at 76, even though almost 75. But I knew that would just be too high. I'm overrating Spencer Dinwiddie. I really like Spencer Dinwiddie. This guy can... He's a great scorer. I think he's a solid playmaker. Overall, a solid player. But his main attribute is scoring, playmaking. I really like Dinwiddie. The problem is, is it time to move on? I think there are a lot of teams that could use Dinwiddie. And really, like for example, I think he'd be a good fit in Orlando. I think he'd be a solid fit potentially in Memphis. There's just teams that could use a point guard. Well, Brooklyn is making him their sixth, potentially seventh man, right? I don't like that at all. This is a guy who can be a sixth man of the year, and I'm not saying he's ready to be, you know, an over-average starter, but he's getting there. He's a young, rising player, rising star, really, When at the end of the day. I really like Spencer Dinwiddie, but he's going to be playing back up to Kyrie Irving. The Nets are going to have a decision to make. They, they're they paying Kyrie Irving big money. KD, you know, De- DeAndre Jordan's on the money, uh, the books for a little bit. They're going to have to pay Joe Harris soon. They're going to have to pay Jared Allen sh- soon. Rodion's Karuks may get a little bit of a contract. Karis LeVert they just extended. Where's Dinwiddie in this mix? They're going to have to get rid of guys. Is Dinwiddie one of them? You, know, Kyrie and Karis LeVert are locked in long term now. So, do you want? Are you going to pay Spencer Dinwiddie or are you going to pay Jared Allen? That's what it's coming down to. They're they don't have a lot of cap space flexibility left. I wouldn't be shocked if Dinwiddie's on a different team by the end of the year, and I wouldn't be too mad about it either. That would really be a chance for him to get off the bench, get into a starting lineup, and thrive as a starting point guard. Not saying he's bad in a backup role, but I think it's just about time Dinwiddie has deserved that starting role. Again, not saying, you know, you got to put him in. Like, that's kind of Lou Williams. Like, maybe Dinwiddie enjoys coming off the bench. and But personally, to me, I think it's or just about that time, or at least by the deadline, Dinwiddie will be ready to be a starting point guard in the NBA. I think he's already ready, but... Number 76, we've got Serge Ibaka. This guy is so underrated. Personally, I don't love Serge Ibaka, but I think he deserves a little more credit. One of the best... Def- <sighs> Take that back. One of the best shot blockers in the league. I wouldn't say defenders. You could argue he was a top 15 defender a few years ago. I wouldn't say he's a great defender anymore. I think he's an over-average defender. He's more just a great shot blocker. Solid rim protector, right? Over-average defender, just not as good, you know, man-to-man as he was. But he's a great shot blocker. He's very underrated there. He's a guy who can get a lot of rebounds for you, and he can score if you need him to. If you absolutely need him to, and he's, you know, his shot's on one night. I mean, this is a guy that I've seen drop 30 points against the Celtics when I watched the Celtics, so I'm a Celtics fan. Other nights, he scores two, but I'm a fan of Serge Ibaka. I'm not a, a hater on him. I'm not a lover, but I'm a fan of his. I think he's got an underrated game. I feel like this is just underrated row. I mean, I just DeAndre Ayton, Jaron Jackson Jr., J.J. Redick, eh. Spencer Dinwiddie, Serge Ibaka. This is a, a crop of underrated talent in the NBA. Serge Ibaka is getting up there in age. Uh, you know, we could all argue he's overpaid. The Raptors should trade him now if they're trading Lowry. Just sell the whole lot of veterans with you know bigger contracts. But for Serge Ibaka, I think he's still got some value. If you're a contending team that needs a big man who can you know play a little defense, block some shots, get you some rebounds, Serge Ibaka might be a guy you look into. Number 75, we've got Josh Richardson. Richardson's one of those guys 
Uh, not one of those guys, but first of all, I just want to say, just traded from the Miami Heat to the Philadelphia 76ers. He's a big 6'5 shooting guard. He's a guy who can really shoot the three ball really well. Nice defender as well with his length. Josh Richardson, I'd consider another underrated player in the league. Everyone's got him in the 70s in their rankings, but he's just a guy who's going to come in to Philly and just be a nice role player. A guy who can shoot the three ball, just be a nice two-way player for the Philadelphia 76ers. Outside of his three-point shooting and defense, I don't think he's going to give you a lot. But I think with Philly, they're not going to ask for a whole lot more out of Josh Richardson. He's just a nice two-way player uh, with some potential to grow. Definitely maybe be a top 60 player at some point. Maybe squeaks into the 50s at some point in his career. He's he's a young player with some potential. He's just going to keep growing and growing. Then at number 74, I've got... I, whoa, I forgot to mention this. With this list, by the way, no Kevin. I won't be counting Kevin Love, Demarcus Cousins, or John Wall, and no rookies. Forgot to. I forgot to say that, and I will count Katie and Clay Thompson. Just with Kevin Love, John Wall, and Demarcus Cousins, they've just had on and off injuries, and it's kind of hard to rank them. Katie and Clay technically have just missed a few games so far. I know what their talent is. Then number seventy-four, I've got Brooke Lopez, Splash Mountain. I think Brooke Lopez is a little under, uh, not underrated, overrated in my opinion. Uh, but I, who said, somebody said by the end of his career he'll be a better big man, he'll be the best big man shooter of all time. I laughed. Listen, Lopez is a good shooter, but come on. Like, I just, I, I, I don't think that's absurd, but it's just like, that's just, no. That's just, I don't like that. I've seen Manute Bull, I've seen... Dirk Nowitzki, Nowitzki, why did I just say Nowitzki, Nowitzki, my bad, but no, just not Brook Lopez, I mean, he's a good shooter, I think he's a solid defender at times, but other than that, again, this is, I feel like all these players are so one-dimensional, like, J.J. Redick only can shoot threes, Brook Lopez can really only shoot he can score a little on the post, and he can play a little post defense. Other than that, he can't rebound. He averaged like three rebounds a game. Brooke Lopez is not the guy that you want if you need someone who can be that stable, you know, that that uh, stabilizer. It's like the staple at center, that guy that can stay under the hoop, protect the rim, grab rebounds, score a little and under the hoop. Brooke Lopez is a stretch big. All He gets all his points from behind the arc. He's not a guy that's going to grab you rebounds. He's not a guy that's going to give you great rim protection either. He's a different type of center. He's a different breed of a center, but still a solid, unique, but solid player. He's definitely changed his games over, game over the years. He's much different in Brooklyn. Much different. I mean, he he's definitely declined. I mean, he was considered the best player on the Nets. That's how bad they were. But Brook Lopez, definitely his game has changed over the years. I, I'd say for the better now that he's a role player. It's been for the better. Number 74, number 73, excuse me, I've got Paul Millsap. Millsap's just a veteran in this league. He's one of the best players on a good, deep Nuggets team. Paul Millsap, he's one of those underrated players. He's with the Hawks a few years ago. He's definitely declined since his days with the Atlanta Hawks. But with Denver, he plays a key role. Not just what he does on the court, but well, on the court skill-wise, but what he does in that locker room for that team and on the court leadership-wise. 
when you look at the Nuggets, they lack leadership. They lack veterans that can help guide the way. The guys that I consider veterans on that team that I can really think of off the top of my head would be him and Will Barton. They don't have many veterans at all. Many of those guys who have that playoff experience in those big moments and those guys who can lead those guys and in the locker room, be the leader and be the bigger person. Paul Millsap's one of those guys. He's quiet, but he he brings experience to that Denver Nuggets team. And I think that's what every team needs. I am a fiend for young talent. I'll say that time and time again. I love young teams. I, I'll take the younger player every day. I just love potential. But every team needs a few veterans. And the Denver Nuggets, like Paul Millsap, skill-wise, doesn't mean a ton to the Nuggets. He's one of their better players, but they're a deep enough team that they could do without Paul Millsap. And skill-wise, they're still up there with the best. But he brings that leadership that they need. And again, I know this is a singular player ranking, but singularly, even skill-wise, I think he's still a top 100 player in the league. Anyway, but he's really key for those that Denver Nuggets team. Number 72, I'm going to go with Kyle Kuzma here. Uh, Kuzma is going to have an interesting season this year. I think he's going to be the third wheel, third guy essentially behind uh, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Interesting to see how he uh, recovers from this injury. I think he'll be just fine. Uh, but how does he do behind two stars? Kyle Kuzma has played behind... No stars. He's played now behind LeBron. How does he do LeBron and AD while he's trying to improve his own game? And he's improving, and he knows he's getting better, but are those touches starting to go away? Is is Brent, is Kyle Kuzma ultimately going to lose some touches this year? I think that's a possibility. I think it'll be right around the same because I think they're going to look at it and say, we've lost guys like Brandon Ingram and Lonzo Ball, plus he's got better. That's going to give him a few touches, but with Anthony Davis, it's going to give him a few less. It'll be right around the same. It'll be interesting. I think he's going to have to become a little more of an efficient player. He's going to need to expand his game a little more. But Kuzma's a guy that you got to like, hopefully, as a breakout season. I think Kyle Kuzma's one of those guys some people don't like. you got to root for him. In my opinion, this guy's just a workhorse. He's worked his way to get to where he is today. He hasn't really you know, done anything bad. It's just he's a Laker, so people don't really like him. Then at number 71, I've got P.J. Tucker, one of the scrappiest most hardworking players in the NBA. Talking about hard work. I mean, I just talked about Kyle Kuzma. Throw P.J. Tucker on that list, too. Tucker is a scrappy veteran 3-and-D wing. He can is The corner is just his shot. He's one of the best corner three shooters in the league. Like We talked about that being Jay Crowder a few years ago. P.J. Tucker's kind of taken on that similar, not role, but label. You know, he, he can really, he spaces the floor for that Rockets team really well. Defensively, he really helps because they're and when you, you know when you look at it, like last season they had Chris Paul, James Harden, Eric Gordon, and then PJ Tucker. They, defensively, they weren't great. They didn't have a ton of great defenders. He kind of had to fill in that role that Trevor Ariza played of that defensive wing. That's kind of like the gear, right? He was kind of like that gear on the wing. He kind of had to fill in that role. I think he did a solid job. He's a very scrappy player. He gets in a lot of players' heads. He's a really good defender. He's a respectable player. He worked his way back in the league. And now he's, you know, he went from in the league, out of the league, not good enough, worked his way back in. Now he's a solid, respected veteran. You got to have nothing but respect for P.J. Tucker. He's a great 3D wing, very scrappy. 
He's a place of, and again, another guy with just that a key role for the Houston Rockets. Number 70, I'm going to go Jalen Brown here. Uh, Brown, big season for him. Contract year for Jalen Brown. Bounce back year for Jalen Brown. We were talking about just about 14 months ago, the Celtics trading Jalen Brown for Kawhi Leonard. And every Celtics fan's like, don't do it. One year, Kawhi. We didn't know Kawhi Leonard was this good. We didn't know. We thought back just a year ago, we thought Kawhi Leonard was some greedy player, was maybe top, like, I, I can't really remember, like, maybe a top eight player, like fringe top eight, maybe. He's a greedy player, he'll leave after one year, and we thought Jalen Brown was the next Kawhi, maybe even better. We thought Jalen Brown was something that he wasn't. Turns out Kawhi goes on to take the Raptors to a finals appearance, much better than we thought. Jalen Brown seems like he declines. Seems like he goes on the decline. But Jalen Brown is still a top 100 player in the NBA. And I don't think anyone can deny that, despite last season. Jalen Brown started shooting the three ball a lot more. I mean, out of college, his rookie year, he was just an athletic player who drove to the hoop and played solid defense. My thing with Jalen Brown is, one, he needs to drive to the hoop more. Brad Stevens, something about it, it's just more and more threes. The threes, the threes, I'm sick of it. Jason Tatum needs to go to the rack more. Jalen Brown definitely needs to go to the rack. Jalen Brown was asked to go to the dunk contest in his rookie year. I'm not saying that's a huge thing or anything like that, but that just shows he drove to the hoop a ton. There were a ton of great dunks. I didn't, I forget. I feel like I didn't see Jalen Brown dunk at all last season. He's a very athletic player who can drive to the hoop, and I'm glad they're working on his three-point shot, and it's clearly getting better. But this guy is great at driving to the hoop. He needs to do it more. Instead, they're just having, no, 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 I want him to shoot more threes. Listen, I'm glad that you want him to improve from three, but I'd rather see Jalen Brown take it to the hoop more and shoot less threes at this point. Same thing with Jason Tatum. More driving to the for Jalen Brown. Two, lock in on defense. Jalen Brown out of college was a great defender. He showed great athleticism. He has the potential to be good defensively. He just needs to lock in, zone in, and be focused defensively. And work fundamentally be a little better as well. And then at number 69, I've got Otto Porter Jr. of the, I feel like I always mix him up with the Wizards and the Bulls, of the Chicago Bulls. When he's with the Wizards, wasn't a great fit. Let's be honest, his contract's not good. But he's one of the best glue guys in the NBA. He's kind of just that do-it-all wing. And I think he's a great fit with the Chicago Bulls. I really do. I think he's a great fit there. And that's why he's a little higher on my list now. When he was with the Wizards, he was probably... For, in my opinion, probably in the 80s. Now that he's with, now in this half season, that instant that he's had with the Bulls, he's climbed up my list all the way into the low 60s. And a very low 60s. But Otto Porter's a guy that I, I actually kind of like. I hate the contract. And I think overall, he's kind of been a little disappointing so far in his career especially given the contract that he had and how he's performed after it. But he's a guy that can shoot the three ball. He can take it to the rack a little bit. Not a horrible defender. He can just do a little bit of everything. And he's a guy you can stick in that in a lineup and he'll be a solid fit. 
I think with the Bulls, he's been a much better fit. It's produced a better numbers, better play for Otto Porter, and that's why he's this high on my list. Uh, some people think this is a little too high, but in reality, I think people just need to realize he's much better with the Chicago Bulls now. Then at 68, I've got Mark Gasol. I want to put Gasol higher. Just a few years ago, he was much, much higher, but I think I may be overhating on Gasol a little bit, but he's not really that good anymore. He's a guy who can still give you solid uh, production scoring the ball in the post. He's still not a bad rebounder. But at this point, I can't say, yeah, he needs to improve defensively. He's just at that age where he's starting to decline. It's that simple, really. Uh, him and Pau Gasol. Pau Gasol's really only got one to two years left in the tank. And Marc Gasol isn't too far behind, if you want the truth. I mean, he's still easily a top 100 player. So clearly Marc Gasol has, you know, at least four years left in the tank, in my opinion. Three to four, at least. Uh, Pau Gasol, again, he, his days pretty much come to an end at this point. He's just playing out the end of his career. Marc Gasol, he, he's got maybe a good season left on this list. I could see by the end of next year him not on this list. Two years, I doubt he'll be on this list, but this could be his last year on an NBA Top 100 players list. Maybe... He's got a season and a half or two more seasons left, but Marcus Gasol's just starting to get to that age where he's just not – he's not as good as he used to be. But the Raptors went out, traded for him. He was a key piece to their championship run. It paid off. And it'll be interesting to see how long he stays with the Raptors. If he plays it out there, it'll be interesting to see what happens. I'm glad he got a ring to help solidify himself in the NBA Hall of Fame, solidify his career because I think – with or without the ring, he was in the Hall of Fame, but that ring solidifies his place in the Hall of Fame. It really helps out his legacy. I know we didn't want to leave Memphis, but I think at the end of the day, it paid off in the long run. Then at number 67, I've got Gary Harris. Harris just had a big injury, but hopefully uh, he can bounce back from it. And if he can, he's going to be a, for sure, NBA Top 100 player. Gary Harris is going to continue to improve. He's a good scorer. He's a good shooter. Nice, solid passer, solid uh, rebounder. Nothing special, though, around four assists, four rebounds he left from him. But again, he's just a good shooter. He can space the floor. Not a horrible defender either. So Gary Harris is one of those guys who's a key component to the equation, whatever you want to say to the Nuggets' success. I mean, they have a lot of guys that factor into it, but he's one of those more important variables there in Denver. And I think Gary Harris is going to continue to build off what he's done in these past years and continue to climb up climb up this list. He's a young player that uh, some would argue doesn't get enough recognition. I mean, he's in Denver, which makes sense, but we'll see how, uh, how he bounces back from that injury, I think, is the biggest question at this point. Then it's number 66. I've got Eric Gordon. Gordon is one of those guys that pretty much only scores. But he's not like J.J. Redick in that sense, where J.J. Redick really only shoots. And Eric Gordon mostly only shoots, but here's the thing, he can create his own shot. And he can take it to the hoop. Eric Gordon can do more than J.J. Redick does. Outside of scoring and shooting, Eric Gordon doesn't do much. He's not a good defender. He's not a great playmaker, not a great rebounder. I'd say he's a little bit better of a playmaker and rebounder than J.J. Redick is. But here's the thing with Eric Gordon. When it comes to just pure scoring, he can create his own shot. He can take it to the hoop as well. Again, you look at J.J. Redick, 
he can't create his own shot, and he only shoots threes. Eric Gordon is a great scorer, and I don't think that's necessary for the Houston Rockets, though, because they have James Harden, who goes out and plays 36 minutes and averages over 30 points. And now you've got Russell Westbrook as well. They've got plenty of guards that can score. So I don't think Eric Gordon's really necessary, especially now with Russell Westbrook. Excuse me, quick sip of water uh, there. But Eric Gordon I don't think is necessary, but I think he helps them out a lot, especially, you know, last season James Harden misses a game where he's off the court. Eric Gordon, he isn't going to completely fill in what James Harden can do, I think, no one really can do that in the league. Only a few guys can do what James Harden does. But Eric Gordon can at least fill that in and be a respectable, reliable, I don't know what the word is, but someone who can fill in and not do what James Harden does, but do enough. Then in number 65, we've got Mon- Montrez Harrell. I always, you know, I don't want to mess up that L. There's an L at the end, Montrez L. I don't want to say that. It's Montrez Harrell. Harrell. Could be argued last season was the seventh man for the Los Angeles Clippers behind Lou Williams. Yeah, the seventh man on a team that was the eighth seed is an NBA top under player. The reason for it is Lou Williams was their sixth man, and in reality, he was probably their third best player. Thinking about it, yeah, he's probably the third best player behind Lou Will and Danilo Gallinari after Tobias Harris got traded. So, Harold, what's uh, what? What is it about him? Well, first of all, I will admit he's an undersized big. For power forward, he's a fine size, but if you play him at the five, he's a small ball five. But he's still a guy who can grab you rebounds. He's not a horrible scorer on the post. Uh, he's a guy that can give you maybe twelve and seven. Let me look up his the exact stat line. I don't know what off the top of my head, but he's not going to stun you on the board. It's not going to stun you offensively, but he gets the job done. Yeah, he had averaged 16 points in seven rebounds. So I was right on the rebounds, so I underrated his scoring a little bit. But again, he's a solid scorer on the post. Not going to stun you, but he's a solid scorer on the post. Uh, he's averages six, uh, you know, six and a half rebounds, seven rebounds a game. And he's only 25 years old, and despite his 6'8 height, he's got a 7'4 wingspan. And the wingspan kind of makes up for that height. So he's a solid rebounder, nice scorer, and he's also a very good defender as well. Montrez Harrell, I like him a lot. I really do. I mean, I'd like him to be maybe 6'9 or 6'10 in height, but the wingspan kind of makes up for it. And overall, I mean, all you can really ask for a little more from Harrell, really, because the guy can score, the guy can rebound, the guy can play defense, maybe to become a little more better of a shooter, get a little taller, but I don't know. I don't know if you can really ask that from a player. I'm not sure how much better Harrell's going to get, if you want the truth. I think Harrell's one of those guys who may be 25, but I don't see him getting a whole lot better, to be honest. I don't think he'll ever be a 20-point-per-game score. I don't ever think he'll get 10 rebounds a game, but... He's just going to be a respectable player. I think he's going to have a spot in this uh, league for years. And don't let that six foot eight height deceive you because you forget about you got to factor in the wingspan too. I remember Thomas had a debate with me once. Yeah, the Harold. Yeah, he's good, but he's undersized. He's only six eight. He's had a seven four wingspan. That kind of you, know, you got to factor that in too. Number sixty four. I've got Demontis Sabonis. Actually, I'm going to switch switch another switch. I'm making. I'm putting Harold above Sabonis. Harrell above Sabonis. Uh, it's not actually what I'm typing. I'm just putting him. I just made a numbered list and put him in that way. But Sabonis, six man, I'd say. 
I don't really think anyone else could be argued to be the sixth man for the Pacers. In my opinion, it was DeMontis Bowen. So, again, this is 65 DeMontis Bowen. 64 will be Harrell. When I look at Sabonis, I'm making another change. Anyway, no. No, I'm good. I'll leave Harrell there. I don't want to overrate him too much. But anyway, Sabonis at 65 for me. He's just a guy that I've really liked. He went to OKC, 11th overall pick a few years ago. And when he came into the league, I didn't have super high expectations for him. But I liked him. And then he came to the league and proved that I should like him. Because he played pretty well. He's a guy who can be a stretch big. I think he's a very underrated passer. He's a very underrated passer. Not a horrible rebounder. But he's not really your traditional big. He's more of a stretch big. Sabonis is more of a stretch big. He's not going to be a great defender for you. He's not going to do a... Ton. You know, he can score on the post. He can do a little, you know, can score a little on the post, score a little bit from the outside the arc, and he can grab you a decent amount of rebounds. Also, a, again, sorry for the, the all the shaking, but a very underrated passing big man. I don't think that's like what you know wows me about. I'm like, yeah, you know, the best part about this guy is he can really pass the rock. No, that's not that's not the part of Sabonis. I just think he's an underrated passer. That's all I'm saying. Last season, 14 points per game, 9.3 rebounds. Again, he can get you a good amount of rebounds, and that was in 25 minutes a night. So he's a good rebounder, not a horrible scorer, not a bad passer, just not that great at defense either. But Sabonis is a guy who's going to have a spot in this league for a while. Uh, he's – how old is he? 23. So he he's still got a lot of room to grow. So it's going to be interesting to see. I don't think he'll ever really be an all-star, but he'll always just be a respectable player that would be a great sixth man and a solid starter. Number 63, again, 64 is Harold. Number 63, I'm going to go with Karis LeVert. LeVert last season came down with that devastating injury. I mean, that was that was pretty devastating if you want the, the complete and honest truth. And then he goes out, comes back, balls out, and he's 25 years old, just got an extension by the Brooklyn Nets. And now this season will play alongside Kyrie Irving, which is a bit different from D'Angelo Russell, but... Levert, I kind of want to put Harrell over him if you want the truth, but I'm not going to. Now I'm going to. I'm going to put, because I kind of, I, I think Harris Levert should be ahead of Sabonis, but behind Harrell. Again, this is a matter of inches. Like, doing these rankings, it's so hard. Like, it's just, it's so close. But I'm going to go ahead and put Levert over, I mean, Harold over Levert, but nonetheless, Levert, a guy who came back from that injury, he's 25 years old, just got that uh, pretty big extension from the Brooklyn Nets. He's a solid scorer, you know, gives you 14 a night, 13 a night on solid efficiency. He's not going to be a great playmaker, not going to get a ton of rebounds, but he's a solid two-way guard. So he's not like a two-way wing. When I think of a two-way wing, three and D wing. When I think of a two-way guard, I think of more a guy who is kind of like Karis LeVert that can kind of create his own shot and be a solid scorer and then give you solid defense. He is score Nothing about Karis LeVert's game wows me, but he overall is just a solid young overall player. Then at number, here we go, number 62, because again, 63 is Harold. I keep missing it up. I promise 
like no prompts, but hopefully this will be the last one. We got two, uh, number 62 and number 61 left. Number 62, I'm going to go with Steven Adams here. Adams is a guy who's continued to improve every season. Every season he's improved scoring, rebounding, especially scoring, but even rebounding defensively. He's just improved in every single way. I just saw that highlight of him like yesterday of him. He just went all the way down the court like a point guard. It was funny. He's not really the point guard, but Adams is, he's not going to be a stretch big for you. He's more of someone who's going to camp under the hoop and give you, you know, around 12 to 13 a night, maybe 12 to 14 a night, uh, scoring the ball on the post. Maybe it'll be around 15 a night this season. He's continued to improve. He's not a horrible defender, but he's not really that great. He's just a solid offensive, more offensive based center that can give you points and rebounds. Kind of reminds me of DeAndre Ayton. Not not play style wise, but like the description. Not great defenders. I think I think Adams is a bit better defender, but I think Aiton's a bit better of a scorer and a bit better of a rebounder. But I'm putting Steven Adams above him for now. Uh, but Adams is a guy who is gonna have to really carry a big load this year with OKC. No Russ. Now you got CP3, Danilo Gallinari, and I think the third best player is Steven Adams. If you want the complete and honest truth, uh, you know, Shy Gibbs Alexander's up there too. But now I'm gonna, Steven Adams, gonna have to play a pretty big uh, role this season for OKC, but I think he can handle it. Uh, but let's, listen, if this guy continues to improve, he's going to keep climbing up this list because he improves every single season. It's impressive. Like, look at his stats, they all improve every single year. Then at number 61, I've got Clint Capella. Capella's a guy who. King, I keep saying a guy. I sound like Chris Collinsworth right now. I sound like Chris Collinsworth. Now, this is a guy who, I'm sorry, I was just thinking about that earlier today. It's probably why I'm saying it so much. They don't usually. But Clinton Capella, he's a rim-running center. This guy can protect the rim up there with some of the best. Not like Rudy Gobert, but he's probably like a Tier 2 rim protector, really. He's very good at protecting the rim. He's a guy, something that he can rebound pretty well. Not a horrible score, uh, but he's good pick and roll. He, you know, pick and dunk. I'm not pick and dunk. Oh my god. He's good off the pick and roll. He's a guy who can catch lobs. Him and James Harden have that great chemistry. Chris, he and Chris Ball weren't bad either, but he's a guy who can catch lobs better than anyone. Uh, he's not a horrible score. He doesn't really create a ton of, uh, you know, his own shot on the post. He doesn't really have a ton of post moves. More just grabs the rebounds and dunks. More just dunks from him. He's pretty athletic, but again, a great rim runner, rim protector. The guy can catch lobs and really dunk well, and he's a good rebounder as well. So that's going to wrap up uh, my uh, top 100 players for now. I'm going to get back to that, but I like to do it in like 20-player segments, so it's not too much for you guys or for me. So again, so far we, today we covered... DeAndre Ayton at 80, Jared Jackson Jr. at 79, J.J. Redick at 78, Spencer Dinwiddie at 77, Serge Ibaka at 76, Josh Richardson at 75, Brooke Lopez at 74, Paul Millsap at 73, Kyle Kuzma at 72, P.J. Tucker, Tucker at 71, Jalen Brown at 70, Otto Porter at 69, Marcus Gasol at 68, J- Gary Harris at 67, Eric Gordon at 66, DeMontis Sabonis at 65, Harris LeVert at 64, Montrezl Harrell at 63, kept moving him up, Stephen Adams at 62, and then Clint Capella at 61. So next episode, or whenever I get to this, which is hopefully next episode, I'll go to number 60 through 
41. So that's going to wrap up this segment. I know was, that was a while. Uh, but now I'm going to get to a Thursday night football review. So let's get to that. Again, I know I'm a little bit late here. But I still want to break this game down. Thursday night football, Patriots beat the Giants 35-14. to Again, I know I'm late, but I feel like I give good reviews when you give me one or two games. Or I don't feel like I have to limit myself to a minute to two to just the biggest takeaways. I can really dig into the game, give you, you know, quarter by quarter, really dig into their game plan, what they did right, what they did wrong. All that. That's what I like. I like being able to just give you one or two games. And when I review the week, it's tough. And i not saying I don't enjoy doing the whole re- recap of the week, because I still get to get to the biggest takeaways, and I I can't sit there for 15 minutes and talk about every single game. We'd be here all day. Though, though you guys couldn't sit through all that, and I probably couldn't either if you want the truth. Maybe, maybe, maybe if you know I was, like, getting paid or I had hundreds of people listening to it, like thousands, but I, and I don't, so... <laughs> But I enjoy doing it nonetheless, and I feel like when I have a Thursday, when I have a chance to just do one game, I'm gonna. I'm trying to take it from now on, so that way I can really give a good in-depth review. But 35 to 14, Patriots win, but it wasn't. You know, it wasn't truly a 21-point game. The the Giants hung in it, and I think this is to the Giants. They're going to act like in you know. This was a loss for us, you know. We're not going to take it as a moral victory, but in the eyes of us, this is a moral victory for the Giants. We're now 2-4, and four, and I've had a better season than I uh, predicted. That's a moral victory for the Giants. Giants kind of come out of the gate, and the Patriots march down the field. Tom Brady you know, was hitting James White in the flat. Sony Michelle, you know, Brandon Bolden's going for these good runs. They just kind of march down the field really quick. We're at the around the 21, third and one, we third and three, I think it was, or third and two. We don't pick it up. We go for it on fourth down. Rather than kicking the field goal, going up three nothing. We miss that, and that kind of feels like it sucks out a little momentum right away. Going into this game, I predicted a score of 38 to 7. Now it wasn't far off in reality. The Giants scored 14 opposed to 7, and the Patriots scored 35 instead of 38. And in reality, Mike Nugent missed the field goal too, so that could have been the 38 I was predicting. I also predicted the Patriots would score a defensive or slash special teams touchdown or two, because they always do. That's just how this Patriots team is this year, and it's awesome. The Patriots go down, and that seems to suck a little momentum out of them. It's Thursday football against the Giants who just have your number for some reason. They'll always make it a competitive game. And going into this game, I predicted such a wild score because it's the Giants versus the Patriots. This Patriots team is dominating. The Giants team this year sucks. And they have no Saquon Barkley. They have no Evan Ingram. They've, they're, just, they're just bad. And they're missing some of their best players. And Wayne Gallman, who's their backup running back. So they're just in a predicament. They don't have really much talent to show for. The, the Patriots don't convert the fourth down. The Giants go out. They can't get anything going offensively. We're putting great pressure on Daniel Jones. He throws a pick. Brady goes out. So we get the pick. Stephon Gilmore deflects it. John Simon gets the interception. Next play. Brady throws a pick to Janoris Jenkins. And at that point, I'm like, oh, this is not looking good. right? I, ever since we went for it and didn't convert, 
our offense has just been ice cold. We just had no momentum whatsoever. And on this play, to see Tom, it doesn't happen a lot in the NFL where our quarterback and a receiver aren't on the same page. When you talk about Tom Brady and a receiver not being on the same page, it is very rare. What about take Tom Brady and Julian Edelman not being on the same page? Now, it's been a debate. Was that just a bad throw by Tom Brady, or was that Tom Brady and Julian Edelman not on the same page? You want my interpretation? It was Tom Brady and Julian Edelman not on the same page. Tom Brady doesn't make that bad of a throw. That was a horrible throw. I know he's throwing into the wind. I know he didn't have a very good game, but that was just not a bad throw. I, you could see Julian Edelman kind of hesitate that way. You could definitely tell he ran the wrong route or Brady made a misread. You could just tell. You could see the eyes. You could see the, the motion. Tom Brady doesn't make that bad of a throw. With, with the wind, against the Giants, whatever you want to say. But the Giants' defense in this game overall showed up. The defense was the only thing that showed up. That, and I'd argue, Golden Tate. Throughout this game, you know, the Patriots can't get anything going. The first quarter doesn't look good. The first quarter... For the first 10 minutes or so of that game, first 12 minutes or so, the Giants won. For the fact that it was 0-0, the Giants won. If it was 3-0, the Giants were winning that first quarter. Let's say the Patriots go kick that field goal, but then everything else stays the same. The Giants probably still won that quarter, but they kept it close. Then, then, the punt. That, that was embarrassing. A little. It was just a little. Riley Dixon goes to punt it. Brandon Bolden kind of shoves. Not kind of. He does shove one of their players into. Not really into, but towards Riley Dixon. And it goes off of his helmet. It deflected off one of their players, but it was created by Brandon Bolden. Chase Winovich goes. It kind of looked like he was like moving a little bit like with the wind. Like the wind was blowing the ball, and then he tracks it down, scores the touchdown, chucks it into the stands. I heard him say after, like, no, I, ch- I you know, the ball, I can- it doesn't matter about the ball to me. It, you know, I, it just matters that I got that on video. I can go rewatch that, and I spend that moment with the guys. That's what matters to me. The ball is nice, but I didn't need that, which was interesting to hear. I'd like to keep the ball as well. I get where he's coming from, but but that kind of gave the Patriots a little bit of life. Like, the offense just can't get anything going, but the defense and the special teams right now is bailing them out. And that's kind of what happened throughout this game. Uh, eventually, the Patriots go on for a Brandon Bolden touchdown. And then hey, Brandon Bolden really played a, a key, not a key, but kind of a key role in this game. Three carries for 23 yards and a touchdown. He ran pretty well. And then he had two catches for 22 yards. I mean, Brandon Bolden is a guy that Bill Belichick loves as a special teamer. But this game, he you know cut two catches for 22 yards. They had him run three times for 23 yards, including a touchdown. Second touchdown run of the year. They used him on the goal line. They used him on third down once, I think. Maybe that was second down, but they were using him, and that's what Bill Belichick does. He likes to you know use different guys just every once in a while. Uh, I also thought Jacoby Myers kind of came around this game, four catches, fifty-four yards. Uh, James White was big out of the backfield. Julian Edelman nine catches along with James White. You saw Gunnar Olszewski catch two balls as well. So they were kind of utilizing some more special teams guys. I'm not saying James White or Julian Edelman, but like 
you saw different guys kind of get in there today. Like Jacoby Myers usually doesn't go out and get four catches. You don't see uh, Gunnar Olszewski really out there for a ton of passes. Brandon Bolden was out there a lot. Uh, you saw Sony Michelle catch two uh, passes, and he had uh, another one that should have been caught, but it went right through his hands. It wasn't a great throw by Brady either earlier in the game. It's like the first drive. He only saw one catch from a banged-up Josh Gordon. So they utilized a lot of guys that they don't usually utilize. And that played different roles, more special teams guys or backups that were utilized in this game. Tom Brady runs for the two touchdowns, but overall Tom Brady wasn't great in the air. 31 for 41, 3 to 34 yards in an interception. When I looked at that first part and you hear 31 for 41 for 334 passing yards, I mean, he was on the money. He was 76% completion percentage for 334 yards. Then you added no touchdown passes, zero interceptions. Tom Brady wasn't that great in this game. Don't let the stat line deceive you. Using the eye test, we can kind of diminish his performance a little bit. He wasn't horrible. He he really he he heated up uh, in the third quarter. He did. He kind of came out and was much better. And I thought Daniel Jones looked a little better in that third quarter. But you know, looking at Daniel Jones, 15 for 31, 161 yards, a passing touchdown, three interceptions. The only good things about Daniel Jones that I saw were poise, like usual. I, that throw to Golden Tate was on the money. As a Patriots fan, to see that, I wasn't that frustrated. I was a little frustrated with the fact that they just scored and that our streak was ruined, but J.C. Jackson had amazing coverage on that play. I can't even... Uh, Jonathan Jones. I can't even be mad about the coverage that Jonathan Jones had on that play. That was Jonathan Jones, right? I forget if it was J.C. Jackson or Jonathan Jones, but whoever it was... I can't be mad about the coverage they had on that play. They smothered Golden Tate. Daniel Jones put it in a perfect spot, and he still got a hand on it. Jonathan Jones, J.C. Jackson, whoever it was, still got a hand on that ball and tipped it. That's why Golden Tate juggled it. It was like a perfect pass. It could have been maybe just a little more in front, but you can't really argue with that. That and the poise, the confidence, and I saw a a few good throws in the third quarter. But he wasn't great at all. I mean, he was getting, I will say, the second day, you know, that's a very tough Patriots team in Foxborough. But the hype around Daniel Jones starting to go away. After his uh, Tampa Bay performance, I picked him up in fantasy, and his he's played four games. His fantasy points have gone down every single week. Just That's just for the record. I mean, I think it was 35, 14, 12 to 7. And I think he will kind of start to bounce back. I mean, he's faced tougher and tougher defenses. Every single week, he faced the Buccaneers. You start out really easy. Then you kind of go to the Redskins, or it gets a little harder. Vikings, they're starting to get to the elite tier. Now you face one of the best defenses of all time. In this game for the Patriots, though, the defense bailed them out again. The offense still does not look in rhythm. And this is what happened last year. Just the defense didn't bail you out as much. The defense was very good last year, but this year it's just unstoppable. It is. It's just so good this year. And it's bailing the Patriots out. Their offense is not that great. It's just they haven't faced great defenses, and that's led to just a few gimme touchdowns. And the defense continues to bail them out. No, again, we haven't seen this Patriots defense face a real offense yet in reality. You think about it. We haven't faced a real offense yet. That's why I'm not ready to call the Patriots even a top-five defense of all time. This defense has looked really good. In this era, too. I mean, this is a tough era. 
but I'm not ready to call him a top five defense till I see them face the Kansas City Chiefs. And I see them face the Philadelphia Eagles this year. I'm excited for those games. I'm nervous for those games, but I'm excited for them too because it's going to be an entertaining game and it's going to be a great test for this Patriots defense. What are you really made of? What is this Patriots defense really made of? We're going to find out against those teams. This Patriots defense is no doubt really good. And they're probably no doubt the best defense in the NFL. They don't have to face the Chiefs to prove that. But we're talking all time. That's where we'll figure it out when they face the Chiefs once, probably even twice. They face them in the regular season, face them in the playoffs. Those are going to be those tests that prove how good this defense is truly. We haven't figured out how good this defense is truly until they face a real offense. They haven't faced it yet. I'm not denying or saying they're not a good defense, but we got to see what they're really made of when they face a real offense. For the Giants, I mean, it's just it's going to be a rough year, but just can you know continue to build up that confidence in Daniel Jones. He's got a ton of confidence, but just make sure he's not getting too flustered. Uh, try to just keep him in it, keep him clean, keep him healthy. Keep making progress. That's all they need to do. They had nobody out there. I mean, they had Golden Tate. They had no running backs. They had John Hilleman and Elijah Penny. That's what they had. And for receiving, they had Golden Tate and Darius Slayton. Slayton is his like, favorite receiver, though. And Cody Latimer, who didn't get one target, I don't think. Or maybe one. But for defensively, I will say for the Giants, Alec Ogletree was definitely their best player. Nine tackles, a sack. He was putting pressure on Brady all night. Uh, he was stopping the run game. He stopped a few runs, and he had the sack. He had a sack too. I think that was in like the third quarter. I have to shout out him. He's their defensive player of the night for them. For the Patriots, their defense looked really good. It bailed them out this tonight. They had what? No, they had two defensive touchdowns. Defensive slash special teams. You had the block punt that got you kind of going, and Kyle Van Noy, and then the defense had two more interceptions. They bailed you out. Your offense was not that good. And you were facing a bad Giants defense. But there's something about the Giants. There's something about this Giants team that kind of gets in Brady's head. Gets in Belichick's head a little bit. And the Giants always kind of give you a game. They always do. Even though the Giants team is one of the wor worst teams in football. And they were missing Saquon Barkley and Evan Ingram. They still gave you a game. 30th best defense coming into this tonight. They look like a top 7 defense in the NFL. Last night. It's weird. Weird how it works with the Patriots defense build them out and the Patriots offense. Tom Brady, you know, they may not play well, but they always find a way to still score a few touchdowns on you. That's just how it works. But that is a Thursday night football review. Uh, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. It's going to wrap up today's episode as well. Thank you guys for listening. Go follow me on Instagram at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces. Again, it's at After the Buzzer Sports Talk, all lowercase, no spaces for sports content and podcast updates. And then also go call in on the Anchor mobile app uh, to send in any voice messages you want, any takes you got, anything you disagree with me on, anything is on the table. Thank you guys for listening. I hope you enjoy the new logo, and I hope to see you guys next time.